Rodney had to leave um, Thursday night, and so I came to relieve him. And I was only there for, I mean, a day, I mean, parts of two days. But uh, and so I only got just a little glimpse of it. But uh, and they've only given you a little glimpse of this week. And it, it, they, they, our kids are awesome. And uh, we had leaders that as soon as I got there, they like pulled me aside and said, oh, you're the pastor, and said, man, I just want you to know how impressed we are with your kids, and they're doing an amazing job. And then just be able to, Friday, to go out with them to their site, and I just went to one site with one of our groups, and to watch these kids minister to kids that are just a few years younger uh, than they are, and to take them one by one, uh, and they would, in the course of that, those hours that we were there, they would take a child and they would sit down and they would just talk with them about where they were spiritually and uh, when they were ready uh, they would go through the plan of salvation and man they had a card and they had questions and uh, just to explain to them and make sure that they understood and it blessed my heart Thursday night to come and and I'm kind of coming in cold I don't know what's going on and for them to pray like so and so I was going through but they don't understand this yet so we need to pray for this child and we're hoping tomorrow that they'll, God's been working on them and they understand and they'll be ready to give their life to Christ. And so uh, you need to be very proud of our kids. And, of course, the amazing thing is uh, you took these kids and 22 kids, and there may have been some adults, I don't know, there were 22 people that came to faith in Christ because of what they did in Granbury, Texas this week. So that ought to bless our hearts. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. We're supposed to dismiss Children's Church. David Box is dying to get the children. I'm sorry. We wanted them to stay for the LIT presentation, but it's really too much for them to have me at the end of the service. We don't want to traumatize the small children with uh, Brother Darrell's sermon. We are... Um, Part of the strategy of our church is to involve members in ministry. Uh, we believe that a part of the process of following Christ is that not only do I need to come and not only do I need to learn, and we do that in our church. We do it on Wednesday nights with our children and our youth. Sunday mornings, yes, we come to small groups. We come into here. Uh, and we believe that's very valuable. But there is a goal in mind, is that we would come to this place, and yes, we would be fed. But then we would go out to make an impact on the world. We believe part of our strategy as a church is that every member needs to be involved in ministry. And what we've done with the LIT kids is we've set a precedent and a tone for these are fifth and sixth graders, if you didn't know that. To say church is not about just sitting, there's there's an aspect to that. And we need to learn and we need to disciple them and we need to grow them. 
but if we don't start them at an early age saying no I have the ability to share Christ with my friends and other people and that church is not just about coming and sitting and then going home and checking that off and say okay I'm kind of finished with my little Christian thing it is about serving now all of us are different in our church uh, there are many ways to be involved in ministry uh, you may be involved uh, through most excellent way uh, on Friday nights or at other times many of you are involved in our food pantry incredible impact on our community um, some of you may be involved in Africa We have people, some of you teach in a life group week by week. You're faithful. You may work with children. You may work with youth. You may work uh, with our LIT kids. Uh, you, may be, you may be a part of our outreach team that goes out and talks to people not just about church but about Jesus and their relationship with Him. Uh, I'm telling you, that part of what we are about as a church is raising up people that go out and make an impact and for different ones of you that's going to look different and that's all right but it's all about making an impact there comes a point there comes a point and I've noticed this not only in my personal life but I've noticed it in 28 years of being a pastor there comes a point after the initial step when God because I, I believe what it is is as we grow in our faith there has to come a point where we say but God how is it that you want to use me within the church and outside the church and for many of us the decision of when God speaks to us and says no you need to be doing this is that that becomes an initial step of faith to say, no, God, this is what you've called me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. And that's a huge step. That initial step of obedience, of faith, to say, God, I, I don't know that I can do that. But God, you said you will do it through me, so God, I'm going to step out. And I'm going to put myself out there, and I'm going to say, no, God, you've called me to do this, and you're going to be sufficient. There comes a point, though, listen to me. There comes a point in the midst of whatever ministry it is that we have been called to do where the initial enthusiasm will wane. I don't know, maybe we don't see results. I kind of came into LIT week late. I know they were much more tired than I was. I'm <laughs> thinking these people have been here for six days. <laughs> They have got to be tired. Uh, and sometimes you kind of your emotions are drained. And uh, I know they kept saying to the students and the leaders, no, we got to push through. This is not the time to let up. This is the time to put the pedal to the metal. Because this is critical. I'm telling you, there comes a point in serving God, whatever it is that you've called to do after the initial enthusiasm has wore off, that you're going to have to t decide to take another step of obedience. And I, this morning, would call it the step of faithfulness. 
Or maybe in more general terms, layman's terms, follow through. There is an initial step of obedience. I would, talk, I would think about two phases of obedience and there is an initial step of faith. But there's going to come a day when we're tired and maybe we haven't seen everything that we want to see God do and we're saying, God, I don't, I don't know what it is that your plan is and God, I don't know that I'm able to do this. That the second step, the second phase of obedience is the step of of faithfulness a step of faith but let me tell you that shortly thereafter God calls us to faithfulness when you don't feel like it do you keep going because that's what God told you to do and can you trust him with the results that if I am faithful then God you're going to do something not because of my faithfulness or my faith but because, God, you're in it and you've called me and you're going to do something far beyond what I could ever imagine. Not simply because there was an initial step of faith, but at some point and many days after that, there were steps of faithfulness or maybe what I would say is follow through. In my life, and I've observed it in many other people's lives, many times, we drop the ball at this point and we don't follow through and we don't see God do all that he wants to do because we didn't take the second step of obedience which is follow through <laughs> you're not going to believe this but the people in Haggai's day came to that point uh, this summer, and I'm just going to spend just a few minutes this morning. Um, the people in Haggai's day, and we've been, we've been looking. I know I've been out off this sermon series for a couple weeks, but oh, we're back. Haggai's back. You can dismiss him, but he will not go away. Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. Uh, it's the third to last book of the Old Testament. If you can find the New Testament book of Matthew, just go back three books. They're little short books. He's a minor prophet. Haggai's initial message was, you people, he didn't say it that way. That's the way Brother Darrell would say, you people, <laughs> y'all got, got called back. Mm, I'm sorry. You came back here for the sole purpose of rebuilding the temple. You see, the children of Israel 70 years before had been... It, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple, the walls, they had been hauled off to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar into exile. God moves in that 70 years in King Cyrus's life and he sends back this group, this remnant of people back for the express purpose of building the temple. And 16 years later, they're so consumed with their own lives, they forgot what it was they were there for. And God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And Haggai's simple message in chapter 1 was, you forgot what you were here for. And he said, 
we've got to rise up and rebuild the temple. What he called for was that initial step of obedience, of faith that says, you know what? We don't see how we have resources to build a temple. We don't see that we have time. There is opposition. There's political opposition. There's local opposition. We don't see how this is going to work. But God, if you've called us to do it, what he says in chapter 1 is they rose up and they were obedient. They took the step of faith. Chapter 2, verse 1, is one month after they started the project. And when you read it, and I studied it, I went, no, I know what happened. No, I know what happened. There was this, after they had taken that first step of faith, and they said, all right, we got to do this. Here we go. We're going. They got in the midst of the building, and kind of the initial enthusiasm waned, and they started having second thoughts. Do we really want to do this? And God has something to say. (laughs) to them in the midst of that and this is what the prophet says in Haggai 2 verse 1 in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel governor of Judah he's the political leader and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest he's the religious leader and to the remnant of the people uh, about 42,000 something like that, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? Yet, now, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all the people of the land, says the Lord, and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. One month into the project, the enthusiasm had had waned. The reason was very simple. When they began to build the temple, it lacked the grandeur of Solomon's temple that some of them had seen. In fact, if you go to Ezra chapter 3, you see there were some people, it says that when they leveled it and they began to construct the, the, the new temple, they cried. And it was the old men who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple that was built with limitless resources. Solomon had virtually a limitless budget. He had all the money he needed to do whatever he wanted to do. He covered everything in gold. I mean, to, to walk up on Solomon's temple would have been breathtaking. 
The grandeur of the place was beyond description. And now they had come back as a remnant that lacked those resources. And when they began to build, what they noticed is there was no gold. The Ark of the Covenant was not there. And for sure, the Shekinah glory of God was not in that place. And Ezra 3 says, When those who had seen Solomon's temple in all its glory saw this one, they wept. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that this, this temple was half the size of Solomon's temple. Zechariah, the contemporary prophet to Haggai, talks about people, listen to this phrase, in Zechariah 4.10, who despise the day of small things. No, there was this sentiment as they began to grow. They looked at this and they said, well, this is rinky-dink. This doesn't look like anything like it used to look like. Why are we even doing this? This is not even uh, representing God well. In the midst of that, in the midst of their discouragement, as enthusiasm waned, God sends another message through the prophet who needed to speak to them. And God will always have to speak to us after that initial step of faith when the enthusiasm wanes and you're going to have to decide in the midst of your ministry and how you make your impact in the world, am I going to keep doing it? Even when I look with human eyes and I don't see the results that I think I ought to see and I don't see the glory, I believe God has something to say in the midst of our lives at that point. And it was, and He said it to Zerubbabel, He said it to Joshua, and He said it to the remnant of the people, Be strong and Work, for I am with you. God's work will always be more difficult than we thought. It will be work. You know, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. They still had to walk to the promised land. It was a good distance. It was not going to be an easy journey. Yes, God, when they got to Jericho, God knocked down the walls. But they had to go up and take the land. They had to take that city and, and secure it. You can go scripture after scripture after scripture and see that God's work will always require effort on our part. And many times we start with this idealistic notion and we have this great energy as we start something and we take that initial step of faith and we just say, oh, glory, hallelujah, praise God, everything going just the way it ought to go, hallelujah, all of this. But the day's going to come when that's going to wear off and God calls you to faithfulness, to be strong and work for I am with you. What encourages us, and that's exactly what he says in these verses, that's the word that God sends. God continues to speak and he says what you can depend upon, what it means that I am with you is that you can be encouraged by God's word, by his spirit and by his hand. And he, and he details that in those verses. The reason, he said, I want you to keep working is because I coveted it with you. I promised your people this land. You know that this is a part of the will of God. And I'm behind it. I am with you. And I will empower you by my spirit, he says at the end of verse 5. The contemporary, my favorite verse, and I've already quoted this about a month ago, Zechariah 4, 6, the word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
God says, not only is my word behind it and I promised it and I'll give it to you, but I will empower you by my spirit. And he said, my hand will do what no other hand can do. He said, trust me. And the implication is if you will do your part and you will work and you will follow through even when you don't feel like God said, I will shake heaven and earth with my hand. You know what that meant to people who were impoverished, enslaved, God says, I know you look at the order today. But he said, I'm about to shake some things up. That's kind of the layman's version, interpretation of what he says there. I will shake heaven and earth. I will shake nations. My hand will do what no other hand can do. Do you understand the implication? If I will have the faithfulness or the follow-through to continue to do what God called me to do, God said, I am with you and I will do what only I can do. When we follow through, it is only then that we will experience all that God wants to do. We only see all that God wants to do when we push through and we follow through. When we come to the point after the initial step of faith and the enthusiasm has waned, we have a decision whether we will continue to move forward and do what it is that God has called us to do. My contention this morning from Haggai's word, it's only then that we will experience all that God wants to do. God says through Haggai to them in verse 7, he says, and they will come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory. In verse 9, he, he says, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. They're going, what are you talking about? How is that even possible? We're looking at this half-sized little wood structure with no gold, no Ark of the Covenant, no Shekinah glory. What's this about? This doesn't even represent God well, the glory of our God. He said, they shall come to the desire of all nations. <laughs> In my Bible, that phrase is capitalized. It is a reference to something prophetically. And that's the reason it's capitalized. Because this phrase, the desire of all nations, is a title, is a word, is a prophecy about the Messiah, the Christ who would come. And what God has prophesied, He says, if you will be faithful to build this, this place will be a place of greater glory than the former one, but it's going to be a different kind of glory 
And he said, you know, the nations have come and they've stripped everything away from you and you don't have anything left. God says, if you will be faithful someday, this will be the place that everybody will come to because this will be the desire of all nations. They will be drawn to this place, not to, not to plunder and, and pillage and steal. They will be drawn to this place. It will be the desire of all nations, the glory of this place and Even Zechariah prophesies of that, of how the nations will come. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the fulfillment of those verses are? It's the coming of Jesus. Do you know why the temple in Jesus' day had a greater glory than Solomon's day? Because Jesus was there. The Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. God come in the flesh. God, it's one thing to have the Shekinah glory. It's another thing for God just to show up. And the prophecy of Haggai, and they couldn't see it. It's 500 years later. But someday, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, will come to that place. And you know what Jesus said? John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. God prophesies through Haggai and says, this will be a place where I will bring peace. Now, I don't think they understood all of that. But what God had in mind through Haggai was that the Prince of Peace would come to that place. And Jesus, through His death on the cross, would give the opportunity for people to have peace with the everlasting God. But you know, the people of Haggai's day, I don't think they could see it. And it's, it's like us. We're in the midst of something and we look at it with human eyes and we say, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I think that when Haggai says this temple is going to have a greater glory than Solomon's temple, they're going, I, I don't see how that is. But you know what? That's what it is. Because we look at things with our human eyes and we evaluate and we look at ministry and our impact and we say, well, I don't, I don't know. And we look with human eyes. And God says, no, no, but I'm with you. And if you will trust me and you will be faithful to do your part and you will be strong and work, then I will bring a greater glory to what you do than anything you have known before. And I don't, I don't think they knew. I, I don't think they had a concept of what the desire of all nations was and how God could do that. And God would do it 500 years later. Who would even remember unless Haggai's words were recorded? But isn't it just what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20? <laughs> in the New Testament, what, is, what does Paul say? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask or think. God is able to do things that our human minds cannot even comprehend. You see, if God's in it, He can do a far greater glory than we could ever imagine or think. Exceedingly abundantly more. If, after the initial 
enthusiasm wanes, we take the steps of faithfulness or follow through. And here's my point for the whole morning, and I finish with this. We will only see the glory when we follow through. We will only see the glory when we follow through. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, today I pray that you would encourage our hearts. I thank you for uh, what our fifth and sixth graders have taught us today and in the last week. And Father, I pray that it would, it would spur us all on, Father, to, uh, to find our ministry and our impact on the world. And Father, I pray when we come to the point where maybe we're quite honestly ready to give up, that, Father, you would call us to take steps of obedience and faithfulness and follow through. And, Father, I pray it would be for your glory and that you would do something above and beyond what we could even imagine. And I pray that it would be for your glory. And so I pray that you would spur us on, Father. And we trust that to you. We pray in this time, Father, uh, that, Father, we would choose in our hearts to take that step and to push through. And so we give you this time. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.